Welcome to the 233rd episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with Todd Lockwood, author of The Summer Dragon, first book of the Evertide. Stay tuned for the interview. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Todd Lockwood, author of The Summer Dragon, first book of the Evertide. Todd, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Can you read the first two or three pages or the prologue from your new novel, The Summer Dragon? Certainly. They were feeding the babies when the slaughter began. Graydon spotted the invaders first. Ragged shadows, dark and misshapen, descended from the twilight sky. He thrust his shovel into the cart of dried fish and left it there. Dragon kits in the nests complained when the delivery of food stopped. The adult dragons cooed to their broodlings to call them, calm them, but they too looked out the big rolling doors to the sky. The long, narrow brood house, one of several stacked on the mountainside, opened on one side into the paddock. On the other, it overlooked a high precipice. The roofs of Kulida clustered far below were bound by steep cliffs and dense forests stretching toward the distant plains. The enemy had been testing the defenses of this high mountain area without success. The natural terrain provided substantial security, but these creatures had found a gap in the perimeter of Kulida's sawtooth peaks and mounted patrols. Graydon squinted. They looked like dragons, but something was wrong. Emanations of green punctuated the tattered silhouettes. He felt a sudden chill and pulled his jacket more tightly closed. Father, what are they? His father, Ardern, dropped his shovel too. The breeze blowing in from the cliffside opening and through to the paddock smelled of ash and decay. By the gods, Gray, his face lost all color. The rumors are true. The Herodi have found a way to corrupt dragons. They're horrors, flying horrors. Ardrin called to his eldest, pumping water in the paddock. Phantom, raise the alarm. Alert your brothers. Then get the doors on the upper nests closed. Go. Phantom looked up to the sky over the brood house, and his jaw fell. He dropped his bucket, dashed across the yard to the storehouse, shouting, Lem, Harrion! Soon a bell rang from the yard. Shouts answered. Gray, help me close the airy. Move! Together, Ardrin and Gray heaved to the multiple big doors on the paddock side, rolling them on their tracks to close off the nest. The kits began to squeal uncertainly, sensing the unfamiliar urgency. Their parents turned to the precipice side with wings spread in threat display, shielding their babies from the approaching nightmares. The bell stopped pealing, and Gray hazarded a final look out to the paddock. He saw Bannum and two more of his brothers dashing up the long stair to the next broodhouse up the hill. Shadows chased them. Something shook the roof. Plaster rained down. With a cry of frustration, Gray closed the last door and threw the latch, looked across the platform to the darkening sky. The twisted shapes descended in numbers impossible to count. They'd be here before he and his father could get the precipice doors closed. Screams erupted from outside. A second boom on the ceiling above roused another chorus of fearful bleats. Gray, said his father. Someone has to get word to the dragonry in Halden. What? he said. Take Kiven and go. We've closed the paddock doors. I can't access the tack house. Bowshots snapped somewhere outside. A scream. Gray recognized the voice of his brother Harry and cut short by a chorus of rasping growls. His blood turned to ice. 
There's no time, said his father. Mount up without saddle. Trust me, boy, you have to go now. Gray dashed to his favorite mount, his brood father, Kivan, and leapt up onto his neck. Just as quickly, the first of the horrors landed on the lip of the platform two bays down. A monstrous winged shadow with a dark manshape on its back surveyed the nests with eyes like green coals. Another alit next to it, then another. The brood parents charged the blackened monsters, hissing. Teeth met teeth, claws slashed. Babies spilled out of the nests to dam up against the paddock side doors. The monsters ripped their parents from the shelf, trailing blood off into the void. More of the things swept in to replace them. Gray hesitated in shock as one of the dark riders dismounted and approached the bleeding kits, a large bag in its hands. They mean to take the brood, he called. His father grabbed a machete off the wall, stood uncertainly before his squalling kits. He met his son's eyes with fear. Go, save yourself. Graydon turned Kivan to the precipice. Hi, he shouted, clinging to the large scales on the back of the dragon's neck. They launched out into space. One of the horror bees snatched at him in passing, missed, continued onto the broodhouse floor, the scent of decay trailing after. Gray looked back, even as he urged Kivan to greater speed. Their dragon sires and dams disappeared beneath a multitude of torn shapes. Roars became cries of pain as frenzied slashing began. More monsters mashed on the roof and in the paddock beyond, the upper tiers of nests as well. Gray screamed in anguish, his home, his brothers, his parents, everything he'd ever known. The last he saw of Ardrin, his father was backed into a corner, his brood behind him. Blackened things shaped like men approached, some with weapons, some with large canvas bags. Ardrin turned to his babies, raised his machete to deprive the enemy of as many as he could. The blade fell only twice. The last thing Gray heard from his father was a howl of anger and despair as the hell things swarmed him. And there you go. Great. Well, if someone listening hasn't heard about the Summer Dragon yet, how would you describe your novel? Well, it's, it's equal parts politics, action, religion, action, introspection, philosophy, and action. Plus, there's dragons. <laughs> well, do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to writing The Summer Dragon? Yeah. Uh, about a decade ago, I decided that I needed to do a book of dragon art. But that uh, there were a number of books coming out then that were along the lines of uh, sort of Audubon's Guide to Dragons. Um, it's actually something... Sam Wood and I had proposed to our employers at Wizards of the Coast when we were working on the Draconomicon, so let's make this more than just a source book. Let's make it like an Audubon book of dragons, you know, not just game rules, but something fun. They declined, made it a rule book, and then all the Audubon books started coming out. So <laughs> a couple of years later, Sam and I were no longer employed there, and these Audubon books were everywhere. And uh, Wizards of the Coast used the art and the proposal we had made back when we worked there and put out an Audubon book of their own. So anyway, I knew that it, it wouldn't be that. So I wanted it to have a story behind it. And I just thought, all right, it'll be a book of a dragon war, just a war of dragons, armies of dragons. But it was when I started writing the backstory to thread all of the images together with a through line that I realized I had 
more to say than pictures alone could tell. And it was really bigger than just dragon porn. Um, there was a lot going on in the world. And uh, I've always been affected by books that deal with issues of uh, truth and honesty and humanity. And so I wanted to tell a story like that, but in a fantasy book with action and lots of dragons. And, and so you, you uh, alluded to earlier that um, uh, your work as an artist and you've had a su- successful career as a commercial artist and you worked for Wizards of the Coast. Um, uh, had you always wanted to write fiction or was this new for you when you, when you started writing The Summer Dragon? I've written all my life. I learned to draw by telling myself stories in comic book form. Uh, in, in my mind, I was drawing a movie or drawing a TV show. Uh, I was drawing and telling stories together all the time. It was my primary form of entertainment. Uh, but art paid the bills first, so it took precedence. But I kept that storytelling news fed during 14 horrible years in advertising with, uh, with Dungeons and Dragons, um, which was communal storytelling. I DM'd and uh, had my own world. When I left Colorado to take the job with TSR and then Wizards of the Coast, I left my old gaming group behind. Plus, I was getting my D&D fix pretty much every day. <laughs> so... I haven't actually gamed much since, but uh, that muse was awakened when I started working on this, and so I knew it was time to get serious about it and uh, learn this craft too. And, and what was what was the experience like for you um, in terms of uh, comparing writing to to the work that you do with art and drawing? Were there any similarities, or was it just uh, disparate. There, there are similarities. They, they're different. They use different parts of your brain. Uh, at first, if I wanted to sit down and, and crank out some words, it would take me about a week to change horses. Um, I just would write horribly for three or four days and then finally catch a groove and, and then be on it. And then when it was time to switch back and do a painting, I would struggle for three or four days, but over time it got to where I could switch back and forth at need. And it's pot. I don't know if it's, if one has informed the other in some way or not, it's hard to say, but there are similarities. Um, I think with both, well, you know, writers talk about being either a pantser or an outliner. Um, but many say that they're somewhere between, I know for me, I'm a scrupulous outliner, but I have to pants first to get the ideas and um, come up with sort of the, the, the major set pieces and themes. And then you figure out how to string them together. And creating a good painting is similar. You start with a thumbnail that has the big shapes placed. And then you figure out how the details work. So it's similar in that you build it from the ground up. There's a, an architecture that's similar, big shapes to small or big themes to, to details. Sure. Well, as I mentioned earlier, the, this is the first book of the Evertide. So are you, are you planning additional um, books beyond the summer dragon? It's planned to be a trilogy. A trilogy. Yeah. 
And have you have you started working on the second book yet? Oh yeah, it's outlined. <laughs> I just uh, need to catch up on some uh, some of the paying work and get writing. Sure. So, so what advice would you have for aspiring writers who might be listening and are interested in writing their own novels or short stories? It would be much the same as my advice to aspiring artists, and that is write every day, learn the craft, uh, find your voice, but at the same time, study, take classes, do workshops, uh, Get mentorships if you can find them. Find a writer's group. Um, or if you're an artist, you find a critique group that you can share your artwork with. But I think the most one of the most important things is to attend the shows and uh, go to conventions. Listen to your authors speaking on panels. Listen to their readings. Meet people. Network. Um, because you, you have to figure out this industry a little bit, too. As you as you go, sure. So, what was the process like for you of um, painting the the cover for the Summer Dragon? Wow, um, you know, when I'm reading a manuscript for a cover, usually by halfway through the book, I know what the cover should be. Um, and if I haven't found it by halfway through the book, then I know that it's not going to be a literal scene. Um, it's probably going to be something iconic because I hate to give away an ending or anything in the, the latter half of the book on the cover. But for my own book, I've been working on it for years, you know, um, building the world and learning how to write and thinking about the story. And I didn't know what the cover was. It took a friend saying to me, oh, it's the statue in the ruins, duh. And I'm, you know what? You're right. <laughs> <laughs> It really is kind of the iconic thing that that underlies the the through line of the story. Sure, sure. That idea of, of balance and uh, light and dark. And did you do many sketches before you before you uh, came up with the final idea? Um, a few. I mean, it, that's that's always part of the process. Mm -hmm. I've actually posted the process on my Facebook art page, if anyone wants to go and look at it, um, the URL would be uh, facebook.com slash art of Todd Lockwood, as if it's all one word. Great. So they can check it out there. Yeah. So then if you click on photos, um, one of the, you'll, you'll see an image of the, the dragons. Oh, you want albums. That's what you want. You want to click down on albums, and you'll see a new project, and it, it outlines the the steps from beginning to end for this for this cover. That's great. So, are there books and authors that inspire your own writing? For sure. Um, probably my favorite book of all time was To Kill a Mockingbird. Um, it had all those things that I admire in a story. You know, it was personal, but also big, and it had something to say about us as human beings, and it was beautifully written. Uh, I'd be lying if I didn't acknowledge that I channeled Scout and Jim and Atticus just a little bit. Not too much. I didn't want to, you know, <laughs> I think it was subliminal. But also um, writers like Stephen King, who just writes people so well, his stories aside, 
I can get really tired of, of boogeymen and clowns in sewers and that sort of thing. But the way he writes people is always so good, you know? Uh, um, oh, it just fell out of my head. The movie with uh, Morgan Freeman and the prison movie, Shawshank Redemption. Shawshank Redemption. Shawshank Redemption, what a great story. And that came from Stephen King. There's not a boogeyman in there, apart from, you know, the real-world boogeyman. Greedy, greedy guards and so on. Sure. Um, Dolores Claiborne, another really great human story. Uh, I grew up on science fiction. I loved hard science, like Robert L. Forward and Larry Niven. Um, but I, I loved it when it would get off on a, a philosophical bent too, like uh, Alfred Bester's Demolished Man, those kinds of stories. Um, Isaac Asimov, great stuff. And then Tolkien, of course, had an impact. Great. Well, um, I know you mentioned Facebook earlier. Uh, are there other places online where people can find out more about you if they're interested in learning more about you and the Summer Dragon? Yeah, they can go to my website, toddlockwood.com. Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Todd Lockwood, author of The Summer Dragon, first book of the Evertide. The book is in bookstores now, so go grab a copy. And Todd, thanks for doing this interview. Uh, you're welcome. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.